Hi, I am Janae, and I am not from the South. Hi, I'm Zach, and I am from the South. We're going to be talking about dead people. Specifically, dead Atlantans. Each episode, we'll explore the story of one dead Atlantan and the impact they had on our city. I have no idea what Zach has prepared. And maybe I've prepared a little too much. Join (laughs) us for the ride. The more the better. The deader the better. Welcome to another episode of Dead Atlanta. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> we recently, you and I, took a long weekend trip to Savannah. Oh. Okay. Wow. <laughs> we have very different reactions. I love that trip. Apparently you didn't. I thought you were going to talk about the Airbnb. Okay. Here we go. I don't want to talk go. about the Airbnb. I love the Airbnb. Janae did we're not like it. talking about the Airbnb. Other than that, we had an amazing trip. Yeah, right? it was lovely. We saw lots of historical stuff. Got drunk. We got drunk. We walked around the beautiful squares. We went antiquing. We went on some tours. We went on some tours. Found a $10,000 canoe that I wanted, did not purchase. Yeah, we found a canoe. We found lots of stuff we could not afford. (laughs) Went on a random date. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. You ditched me for a date, (laughs) which did not work out, by the way. No. My favorite part, personally, was our tour of Bonaventure Cemetery. Yeah, that was cool. If you haven't been, it's this really beautiful historic cemetery in Savannah. We had a fabulous tour guide. It was a two-hour tour. Pascal. Yeah, Pascal. He was great. He knew everything. He was engaging. He was lively. It was wonderful. During this tour, I think was (laughs) my favorite moment of the whole trip. So there were, what, maybe 15 of us or so on this tour. I would describe us all also as definitely adults. (laughs) Yeah. Except for one, like, kid who was maybe eight years old, I would guess. And my favorite moment of the whole trip was, (laughs) this tour was two hours, by the way. It was long. In the Savannah heat. And Pascal asked, maybe like an hour and a half into the tour, he was like, does anyone have any questions? And this eight-year-old is like, yeah, I have a question. Is this almost over? (laughs) And y'all, I almost had to leave. I was cracking up up i was like hysterically laughing and i almost had to leave the group just to like not disturb because it was so funny to me this eight-year-old was like really wanting this to end and poor pascal (laughs) but honestly i was thinking it was like 90 minutes in oh yeah there were lots of bugs i was getting eaten alive pascal tried to engage this eight-year-old like go into the grave and point out this and the kid was like what (laughs) <laughs> he was not feeling it. Yeah. He was not into this tour at all. But we did like Pascal. We appreciated the effort. It was really informative. It was beautiful, of course. But also, there was another um, cemetery that we went to. Oh, yeah, where Juliet Gordon Lowe was buried. Wasn't it called, like, Lauren Valley? Laurel Grove? Yes. We visited, and it was so interesting because it was, I was about to say, it's completely dead. But uh, It's accurate. <laughs> That cemetery had truly absolutely no one in it. We're the only people in it. But when you went to Juliet Gordon Lowe's grave, I don't know, I would almost say thousand. Like a thousand rocks. Oh yeah, there are so many rocks. Like each visiting girl troop, scout troop, paints a rock and puts it on a grave. Yeah, it was really interesting to see. But it was very peaceful and quiet and calm and pretty. 
Great trip. Highly recommend. Yeah. Are you ready for our dead Atlantan? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> our dead Atlantan this week is the Atlanta Ripper. Ooh. <laughs> okay. A little delayed response. I was expecting something a little more excitement. I don't know what I was expecting. It wasn't that. <laughs> Maybe a little more enthusiasm and intrigue. So our dead Atlanta is the Atlanta Ripper. The Atlanta Ripper was actually one of the most prolific serial killers in American history. Really? Yeah. I've never heard about this person. Yes. My next note actually says, comma, although hardly anyone has heard of him today. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Janae, for emphasizing that point for us. (laughs) I am the people. (laughs) You are the people. Also, just to be transparent here, Janae and I are totally drunk right now. (laughs) From 1911 to 1914, the Atlanta Ripper killed over 20 women. Oh, God. Yeah, it's pretty terrible. The exact number isn't known, but the best estimates from historians is 21 or 22. You said 1911 to 1914? Yes. That's three years. Mm-hmm. Over three folks. years. 20 women. The Atlanta Ripper was a copycat killer of the famous Jack the Ripper. From... Forever ago. Uh, From Victorian London. Yeah. Or as other people might say, forever ago. Remember, I am the people, so. (laughs) You are the people. Yeah. So in 1888, Jack the Ripper, in case you don't remember, he killed dozens of prostitutes in the Whitechapel section of London. And just 20 years later, the Atlanta Ripper copied Jack the Ripper, and he became really one of the most feared and notorious serial killers in the South. So over the course of time, of course, he was eclipsed by other serial killers like John Wayne Gacy, Jeffrey Dahmer, and of course, Wayne Williams, who was the murderer of the Atlanta child murders. Mm. And that's what a lot of people know, right from the Netflix special and all these movies and documentaries. A lot of people are familiar with the Atlanta child murders, but really no one knows, to your point, the Atlanta Ripper, Mm -hmm. who was a really prolific serial killer. Mm -hmm. He's really been largely forgotten. Gotten. But at the time of the killings, again, 1911 to 1914, he became a, a really among the most feared men in America, and his killings made national news. And much like Jack the Ripper of London, the Atlanta Ripper had very specific targets. So he only killed young, black, or mixed-race women who, by all accounts, were good-looking, and they were all between... 15 and 20 years old. He also stuck to a very specific pattern of killing. He would bludgeon the victim's head with a heavy rock or brick. He would slit the throat from ear to ear so that the head was almost decapitated. It was almost severed, but it wasn't quite severed. And then finally, he would steal the girl's shoes. Okay. Don't know how that fits in. Maybe it's a sexual fetish. Maybe it's just like his calling card. I don't know. But he would always steal the girl's shoes. And it's always women, you said. It was always women. So all the victims were women. And another pattern that he had is that he would almost always kill on a Saturday night, which would lead to the victims' bodies being discovered by passersby on Sunday morning. So, of course, I did some digging. You know me. I can't resist some historical archival digging. The newspapers at the time gave very haunting and gruesome details about these killings. For example, from the Atlanta Constitution in April of 1912, quote, 
The dawn of Easter morn revealed a murder, horrible and ghastly, to black people who were hastening through a lonely field at the end of Prior Street on their way to early morning services. The body of an unidentified girl, about 15 years old, was found in a clump of bushes a short distance from the road. The corpse was lying face to the heavens, showing a gaping knife wound in the neck and a badly battered skull. We have another article from the Atlanta Journal in February 1913. Quote, what was believed to be a Jack the Ripper slang was discovered this morning in Kirkwood when the body of a black woman was found on Clifton Street. The woman's throat was slashed, her face badly cut. And it keeps going on and on. There's so many articles I found. So is this uh, victim one and victim two? These are interspersed, but not necessarily in order. From the Atlanta Journal in March of 1913, quote, Another Jack the Ripper case was uncovered by the police this morning when Lula Smith, a young black woman living at 245 East Merritt's Avenue, was found murdered in a vacant lot just off Hunt Street. The woman was a servant in the household of Milton Darragon, 58 Ponce de Leon Avenue, and was on her way to the Darragon home when she was slain. The victim's throat was slashed and her head smashed with some powerful blunt instrument. This is the 19th case of this kind in the last two years. And they just keep going and going from the Atlanta Constitution in October of 1911. Eva Florence, a young black woman, met her death sometime Saturday night at the hands of an unknown person who cut her throat after apparently cruelly beating her to subdue resistance. This is the first black woman since July to be killed in the same mysterious manner by which nine others have gone to their deaths. And finally, from the Atlanta Journal in January of 1914, another murderer whose operations are similar to Jack the Ripper is spreading terror among the black women residing on Casey's Hill on Marietta Road, the old stomping ground of the Ripper. The latest victim is Mamie Casey, who was found dead on Tuesday. Near the corpse, a revolver was found. Several other black women have been slain in this section recently. Interesting. Was that the only one that a gun was found also? Yeah, that was the only one I found that mentioned a gun. But otherwise, it seems like a very similar pattern, right? This, yeah. The throats have been slit from ear to ear, and always the head was traumatized by uh, uh, forcing it, hitting it with a rock or a brick. Any kind of killing is awful. It's my understanding, though, that when you have to get that close to someone to either bludgeon or, like, do the knife thing, it's usually a very personal thing. So it's interesting that this is maybe stranger. Yeah, and clearly he was targeting black women or mixed-race women, but I don't know if he knew these women personally. Right. One really important thing to note here that I found interesting during my research in the archives is... The articles were very graphic in their detail. However, they were almost always very short, and the articles were buried pretty deep down in the newspapers. And I really think that this is largely because the victims were black. Yeah. And during this time, you know, the papers were owned by white people, it was read by white people, and it was edited by white people. And I really think that they... Honestly, they just didn't care as much about the murder of black people as they did about white people. I think you're right. You know, in my research, previous research, like 
cases we covered before, like Peggy Ray Foulet mm-hmm. in season one or Henry Hines in season two, it was always front page news. It was the very front page of the newspaper, big, bold headlines. And here it was like, you know, on page seven or page eight, kind of buried very short stories. And eventually the Atlanta Ripper, like we said earlier, did become one of the most notorious serial killers during this time in American history, mm-hmm. to be honest. But it took a while for this to really gain prominence in the media. For a long time, these articles were really buried deep. And I had to go digging for this, right? Unlike the murders of white people, it's pretty easy to find. Here, I really had to spend a lot of time in the archives finding this information. And so I just had to dig deep to find these clippings Regardless of whether or not they were adequately reported, which I can say probably not, by these all-white newspapers, the Ripper in real life was completely terrorizing Black communities. Prominent Black churches of the time actually organized fundraisers to offer monetary incentives to capture this killer. Mm. There's this one story of Wheat Street Baptist Church raising $1,500 from the oh black community, gosh. which at the time was a huge amount of money, especially for black people who weren't making fair wages. Mm-hmm. For them to raise $1,500 really speaks to the urgency and terror that these people felt to capture this person. Black church leadership at the time really encouraged black women to be vigilant and to stay home after dark. Sorry, were you going to say something? Well, I mean, it bothers me. You know, like, flashing forward to in the future where it was, like, the reaction, I could be wrong, but the take back the night thing of, like, why should women stay at home when they're the ones Mm. being targeted for violence? Shouldn't the person that's creating the violence be the person that's targeted as they're put away? But I understand. You do need to be, yeah, you need to Mm -hmm. be, like, aware. But it's also, like... Freaking sucks. Mm-hmm. It absolutely sucks. Well, to your point, to expand upon your point, I found this interesting article from the Atlanta Constitution in November of 1911. The article is titled, Women are Urged to Stay at Home. And the article reads, quote, To put forth efforts to apprehend Jack the Ripper, a meeting of black people was held yesterday afternoon at 3 o'clock in Big Bethel Church. A large sum of money was raised to add to the award already offered, and speeches urging black women to stay in at night were made by prominent colored speakers. All told their audience that the crimes of Jack the Ripper could be checked if the black women would remain indoors at night and not invite the ravages of the unknown murderer by displaying themselves after dark and places he could operate. Way to victim blame. So, to your point, I think the intention here is really great, right? Yes. Stay at home so you're not murdered. But I think to your point, as you said earlier, it feels like these women are sometimes being made out to being like, oh, well, you're being murdered because you're out at night, you know? Yeah, it's the whole thing of the intent versus the impact. The the intent of that statement is to protect and Mm -hmm. to help. Mm-hmm. But the impact of it is to confine mm-hmm. and say you're causing this. Yeah. It really seems like the police were dragging their feet on this. They were pretty slow <laughs> to chase after this killer at first. Again, I think this goes back to the victims all being black. I think if this, the victims were white, there would be a much more pressure on the police. They would have been you know, faster to really put more resources into solving this crime. But they were pretty slow in the beginning. However, as more and more women were dying and found discovered dead, the pressure did keep mounting and mounting. 
the police had one helpful clue. Believe it or not, there was one girl who survived. Oh. July 1st, 1911, Emma Lou Sharp was waiting at home in Atlanta for her mother to come back from the market. After about an hour had passed, Emma became very worried. You know, especially because she knew, of course, about these recent killings. Yeah. And it was taking longer for her mother to get back from the market than what she usually took. So Emma set off from her house to go look for her mother at the market. On her way there, she ran into a stranger who asked her how she was feeling. And Emma replied, I'm very well. And she tried to leave, thinking the conversation was over. But the man blocked her way and said, Don't be afraid. I never hurt girls like you. And right as he said that, he stabbed her in the back. Oh my God. In an attempt to kill her. Emma, remarkably, miraculously, was able to run away. <laughs> Even with the stab on her back, she ran away. She was screaming and she got help from neighbors who heard her. So she actually survived this attack. It's amazing. Yeah. Now, the worst part of the story is that Emma was actually right to worry about her mother. So her mom, Lena, she never did make it to the market. She was abducted and murdered by the Atlanta Ripper. Oh my god. Emma's survival of the attack was actually helpful to the police because it really provided them the only clue that they had. This guy was a complete stranger. They had no leads. Nobody knew who this was. She described the Ripper as quote, tall, black, broad-shouldered, and wearing a black hat. So that's really all they have to go on. Mm -hmm. While the killer was... Now, here we go. This is the big part of the story. The Atlanta Ripper was never found. Oh, no. Ever. They never found. Even to this day, we have no idea who the Ripper was. However, that did not stop the Atlanta police from identifying suspects. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So after they had this information from Emma, six black men were identified as suspects over time, over the course of these three years. They were accused by the police of being the Atlanta Ripper. However, we see as the cases played out, all six of these men, either their cases were dropped as suspects or they were acquitted by the court system. The evidence of the police, really, it was circumstantial at best. And there really is also evidence that some of these men were tortured by police to force a confession. For example, so one of the first men to be arrested by police on suspicion of being the killer was a man named Henry Huff. He was a 27-year-old black man who lived on Brotherton Street. Witnesses claim that they had seen Henry Huff with one of the victims the night that she was murdered. And when he was arrested by police, his pants were bloody. He had a bleeding wound on his head, and he had several scratches on his arms that looked like it was from someone else's fingernails. Mm. He told the police that these wounds were the result of a recent bar fight in a pool hall. And in the end, the evidence was just circumstantial at best, and Huff was never convicted of the killings. From an Atlanta Constitution article... In November, it says, quote, It was thought that the state had a pretty clear case against Huff, but his attorney succeeded in accounting for the blood on his clothes. Their witnesses offered alibis, 
And a number of reputable white businessmen of Atlanta testified to Huff's good character. So he was let go. He was no longer under suspicion after that. Again, you know, like I said, there were six men in total who were originally arrested under suspicion. Perhaps the police were most hopeful and optimistic about the final man that they arrested under suspicion. His name was Henry Brown. And this was in August of 1912. Henry Brown's wife claimed that Henry would frequently come home on Saturday night with bloody clothes, which he would dry by the fire. But when the case went to trial, it was revealed that the police had actually beaten a confession out of him. Mm. Through like physical torture. And he was acquitted in October of 1912. Mm-hmm. And these murders continued throughout the years until the last reported one, which was on July 22nd of 1914. The victim was named Mary Rowland, and she had her throat slashed, like all the other women. Her body was discovered near the bottom of a creek on Hill Street. And that was the last recorded victim, was Hmm. July of 1914. And it's fascinating to me that the killer was never found. This Atlanta Ripper who created so much terror and trauma among the Black community, we never, even now to this day, what, over 100 years later, we have absolutely no clue who he was. I'm curious as to, of the people that were accused, if any of them passed away or moved Mm. or something around that time. Yeah, I don't know. There's really the trail kind of runs dry. Because really all we have for those people is the police records. We don't have much other than that. So beyond, you know, being acquitted or just them being dropped as as suspects, we don't know what really happened to them. Mm -hmm. It's also interesting to me to think about, was this one killer or was it multiple people, right? It could have been one person. Mm -hmm. It could have been multiple people, right? It could have been... A copycat of the copycat, which means, I mean, by that, I mean, you know, the Atlanta Ripper was obviously a copycat killer of Jack the Ripper mm-hmm. in Victorian London. But maybe this copycat killer in Atlanta had his own copycat killer, hmm. right? There could have been people who took advantage of that and said, well, I'm going to kill somebody and I'm going to do it just like this Atlanta, Jack the Ripper. And he'll get blamed. Yeah, and he'll get blamed. Maybe they really wanted to kill someone and they did it knowing that this other person would get blamed. And so there's so much... We don't know. There's so many unanswered questions. Who was this? Why were they doing it? And was it one person? Was it two? Was it multiple? We just don't know. And I think it's fascinating, too, that something that ended up causing, you know, so much terror and really a hugely prolific serial killer that caused so much trauma over these years has totally been eclipsed by other news right now no one knows about this and this was in town atlanta and now it's just like something that no one has ever heard of yeah so i'm wondering was emma lou the person that found her mother yes well i don't know if she found her mother okay lena her mother was killed i don't know if she was the one to discover the body that's awful number one what a traumatic experience for yourself Mm. but then also for you to lose your mother and in that way yeah and having your fear confirmed and another thing on Emma Lou's case is it was likely the Atlanta Ripper, but it also could have been someone else. Yeah. I mean, Atlanta at this time had about 115,000 people. So there's, there was likely more than one murder on the loose. Mm-hmm. So it could have been the Atlanta Ripper or it could have been someone else who just was also violent and wanted to kill people. The person that stabbed Emma in your heart, do you think that was the Ripper? I think so. Because it was the same time. It was the same area. And also, Emma fit the description of people who he was killing, Mm. right? Mm -hmm. Oh, and by the way, I want to thank our 
listener and friend Patrick. I was recently at a birthday party of a mutual friend, and Patrick at this party suggested we do an episode on the Atlanta Ripper, who, by the way, I had never heard of. Yeah, interesting. I had never. I mean, I'm born and raised here. I had never heard of the Atlanta Ripper ever. No. And another thing that makes it connected to today that Patrick actually mentioned was that the current Atlanta Beltline was actually built upon old railroad tracks that circulated the city. And the Atlanta Ripper would often dump the bodies, these corpses of his victims near this railroad track. Interesting. I did not realize that he moved the bodies. Yeah, I don't know that he moved them or he would like find them there. I think that he did move. I think that he would kill them and move them towards the railroad. And it's just so interesting today, the Beltline, that there's so many people walking on it and there's like bars and shops and boutiques and all this and restaurants. And it's like, this is where a lot of these women ended up. They were just slit in the throat, bludgeoned in the head. Bodies on the Beltline. Yeah, there's bodies on the Beltline. And we walk by it every day and people have no idea of this history including me until now yeah so that's the story of the atlanta ripper oh man not to be a downer but sleep tight everyone <laughs> yeah oh also i should say so i was finalizing my notes and research on this while i was in my house alone at like two in the morning i st- i'm a night owl for those of you who don't know i stay up very late at night and i was like oh my god i should not be reading <laughs> about this at two in the morning when it's so dark outside by myself in this house do not recommend especially when sandy squirrel is not Knock, 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 and knock. Yeah, window. especially when you live in an old house with lots of noises yeah. and groans. Do not recommend. Okay. Well, I guess that's it. That's it. Until next time. For the other half of the story, make sure to follow us on Instagram at Dead Atlanta Pod. If you like us, make sure that you tell your friends because word of mouth is the best word. Mm-hmm.